What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Friday as this drops, and you know what that means. I got my man, Chris McGill. Chris Hoge is what they call him on the hobby streets from the Card Ladder team. We are talking about the Super Bowl, cards, what he's collecting, NBA trade deadline, hobby assessment, all the things, and we go, and we go, and we go, and we go. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. There is always a lot to talk about in these conversations. Um, I feel like I'm at the last few weeks, it's been like cheers. I've been bringing on uh, the, the regular crew. Um, they're talking different topics. Uh, this one, we're going to go a few different directions. But uh, last week, and I was listening to the crossover, actually, and you talked about the NBA trade deadline and how it might have uh, overshadowed the week before the Super Bowl, which I don't know when you see splashes like we saw last week. I I had to reflect on that. It was like, you know what? Like the NBA was in the forefront. So we're going to talk about that, cards, a bunch of other stuff. But Chris, how are you doing, man? Welcome back. Doing well. You know, Super Bowl hangover Monday. So I'm doing well, man. How about you? Uh, same thing. I I was telling my team at work, I was like, it, it feels like the Super Bowl Sunday feels like we should have this day off Monday as we're recording it because it literally I'm beginning to feel like it feels like Thanksgiving. Right. Cause I have no restrictions. It's like, I may, I've smoked wings and it's like, you know, we had people over and there was the dips and I just didn't stop. So like, I'm hurting a little bit today. I like had a salad for lunch, but uh, yeah, I did not stop eating yesterday. Did you have anything good? Did you, did anything appetizing enter your scene for uh super bowl Sunday? Well, now that you mention it, Christina made uh, Philly cheesesteaks. So I think we may have appropriate. Well, we may have cursed the Eagles, I think is what (laughs) happened there. So, but really like I watched most of that game on a Zoom call with like my dad, my brother and my uncle, but really just like by myself, because I prefer to really take in big sports games in my own head. Now, but you had people over, you know, how many people do you have over? How do you compare the experience of in a group setting versus like when you're just like sitting in front of your TV, you know, edge of your seat. Oh yeah. This is a great. So the, the people we had over were my wife's side of the family, which uh, I've got a brother-in-law. We're good friends. He's got two girls, mother-in-law, father-in-law. They came over, uh, you know, so it was, it was immediate family, but you know, I've got a little one, uh, his daughters are kindergartner and, you know, three, four years old. And so there, it was, there was a lot of commotion going on. And uh, I was reaching that point where the kickoff was happening. I was like, I haven't even sat down yet. You know, I'm hosting. And after the first quarter, they were like, you know what? Like everyone was like, all right, time to go home. I want to get comfortable for Rihanna. So the stuff was cleaned up and it was once I sat down and lay down on the couch and could actually like wrap my head around the game and um, watch what was happening. Um, it felt good. Not that having people over isn't good, but I, I share in your sentiment that I kind of like to be zeroed in and analyze what's happening and um, assess the game. And I think we got a good one. Oh man. What? a I mean, that's the one thing where like, a group setting can save a boring game, you know, but like, if it's a really intense, good game, you just kind of want to be like, I want to have my NFL Twitter list of all like the sports writers that I follow. So I can just go get, 
more content from there when the commercials come on. Yes, I don't watch the Super Bowl commercials. I hate <laughs> commercials in general. And I don't watch the halftime show. Mark me down for that as well. And then I got a few group chats going where we can just fire off takes and talk shit. And then I got that Zoom with the football aficionados and the family. So, you know, that's my perfect world. It's like Tank in the Matrix, just sitting in front of all those computers, watching football and getting stats, you know, injected into my blood. You know what? what it's funny you say that. And I like the system you've built. It was probably twice, maybe I picked up my phone and checked hobby Instagram, like hit a couple stories and just, and you, I saw, you know, the, the people who know more than everyone else start, you know, at every moment I was like, you know, I don't need this actively during the game. I, I don't need anything to do with this. So I kind of, I, I, I put hobby Instagram on hold and I think I was better for it. Yes. I avoid hobby Instagram usually after big games. In any of those situations, whether it's a Super Bowl or whatever, I that's why. So, so we're we're going to talk about NBA trade deadline, obviously cards, a bunch of stuff. But I think let's st- stay on the Super Bowl topic, and we're going to get to Mahomes, obviously. But maybe we start with Jalen Hurts. Um, my when the game was over, I and I was getting ready to go to bed, brushing my teeth and whatever. I said to myself, I was like, that might have been the best performance that I've ever seen in a Super Bowl in a loss. And I wasn't ready for that because my thoughts were if Jalen Hurts plays the game that Jalen Hurts played in that game, like the Eagles are going to roll and the Eagles are going to win. And I don't know, like we'll talk about his cards a little bit, but like, I think there's a lot of doubters, a lot of naysayers on the Jalen Hurts front, but that guy came to work on the biggest stage in delivered outside of the win like what was your read on Jalen Hurts's performance maybe this year and then the Super Bowl like do you think about him differently now than you did before yeah I I do uh one of the things that impressed me about Jalen Hurts in the regular season was that he ended up in a tie with Josh Allen for the lead in football references approximate value metric which is like one of the very few football catch-all metrics that compares all positions, not just quarterback to quarterback. And he led the league. He was tied with Josh Allen with a score of 20, which is super impressive. And, like, that's a metric that's going to take into consideration your rushing ability as well as your passing ability. So it's not a huge surprise that Allen and Hurts were at the top of it. Like, LaDainian Tomlinson has one of the greatest approximate value seasons of all time. So it's a cool metric to look at. You get a lot of different positions. And stuff. So, like, I right after I saw that number come in, I was impressed. And because I didn't get to watch a ton of Eagles games, I got to watch them play the Bears, but Hurts got injured in that game. And then the Eagles, though, the thing that always stood out to me was they were just kicking everybody's ass all year long and then in the playoffs, you know, and I was on the receiving end of it because, you know, I was rooting for the Niners and McCaffrey. And so I, I saw this team as just like a machine in motion, just chewing up opposing teams and they even were doing that in the first half I mean it was 24 for 14 at halftime but like that this is kind of like the 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 Hertz game was very complicated because he was rushing for multiple touchdowns he was when you have Jalen Hurts you get four downs instead of three all the way up the floor or all the way up the field so you know He's 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 converting these fourth and ones and fourth and twos over and over again. He's throwing 50-yard bombs 
you know, he, it was a really impressive game. He won, he had over 300 yards and over 70 yards rushing, just an insane Super Bowl performance. But the, the performance was complicated because like he was carrying his team and he really made one mistake. And it was that fumble mm. that resulted in a touchdown for the Chiefs. And that seven point swing determined the game. So he was brilliant. Like I said, I think he was carrying his team. The Eagles, you know, had the third greatest sack defense in NFL history. They didn't get a single sack. You know, he, he, he it was it was a Herculean effort by Hertz. And then what I but what I, why I opened with the regular season metrics is because that backs it up. You know, the, the greatest Super Bowl performance in the last 10 years by passer rating is Matt Ryan in that tragic Falcons Patriots Super Bowl. Uh, but, you know, Hertz is, is one. So that I would put that amendment. I think this is maybe, this is one of the best performances we've seen in a loss. Matt Ryan might, you know, have a, have a, a word in there, but he's a special, special player. And uh, I don't know how the league is going to deal with him. I uh, just, he's, he's a really exciting, great player. Falcons fans are like, are we still talking about this? Now? <laughs> yes, 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 we are. Um, uh, so I think with staying on Hertz for one more minute, I think he Hertz was certainly included in the segment of the hobby who wanted to prop up young quarterbacks and wanted to sell their cards for ridiculous prices. And there was all this momentum and all this stuff. And, I would say he was not like at the forefront of that. There were certainly other uh, Mm -hmm. players like, yeah, I'm thinking about Trevor Lawrence, which who finished with a strong season, Matt, but Mac Jones and Zach Wilson and all all those, but Hertz was included in that bunch. Um, I guess like after a season like that, where you're, you know, in the MVP race, you take your team to the Super Bowl, strong performance, but don't win. I think it's like we've learned that like it takes a combination of events and it takes a long time for like value, actual values to be realized in someone's market. But like, how do you read like what this season and it ending in a loss will do for Jalen Hurts, his market and Jalen Hurts's collector base? Oh, man. Yeah. So there are some Joe Burrow parallels because a very similar thing happened to Joe Burrow last se- last season where he got all the way to the big game, did it ahead of schedule, lost in a one-score game, and played really well. So, you know, I don't think Joe Burrow lost very much momentum just because, you know, he lost by a score in the Super Bowl. And I think, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is is even better positioned hobby-wise because, like you just said, he doesn't have all the price inflation that somebody like a Joe Burrow had even before the Super Bowl. So I think he's pretty well positioned. I just think in football, I think two things about football. I think number one, outcomes can vary a lot from year to year in football. You can go from, you know, being the Tampa Bay Bucks Super Bowl champions to like a middling sub 500 team or at 500 team, just because like you lose a few key pieces on your offensive line you know, and a few defensive studs as well. And all of a sudden, you know, instead of being football is so team oriented. And that's like, and that's my part number two is that relatives like other sports 
Like in baseball, it's very team oriented, but you know, we get to see so much one-on-one action. It's a pitcher versus a batter. You know, there's just so much one-on-one action. You have a lot of good metrics to know who the best players are. In basketball, you know, there's only five guys on the floor, and we have tons of great metrics to figure out who the best players are. In football, it's really tricky because it's so hard to suss out what's the value of an all-pro offensive lineman versus the value of an all-pro wide receiver in different contexts. You know, how important is Bosa to the 49ers defense? You know, how valuable it's just so hard to suss out the value of an individual player that you're always left wondering. And this is something that even haunted the career of the GOAT, Tom Brady. You're always left wondering how much is system, how much is coaching, how much is player. And the Eagles are going to lose their offensive coordinator, it looks like. So it's it's just tricky, man. It's really tricky with football trying to figure out how much of the of the credit should we give to an individual player. It's just we're always tough to figure that out. Final nugget on Hertz. It, I have this like uh forming theory that and this isn't exclusive to fan bases, but I feel like the way how collectability begins to form with these young players, it really starts with fan bases who collect cards and who are seeing these players every all the time. And then they begin to buy off of emotion and they begin to, instead of looking at these cards as vehicles for, to, to make more money, they just want the cards and they want to acquire. And so I think like we all know Philly fans are um, an, an interesting breed. Uh, no offense, but I feel like you all wear that proudly. Uh, to me, this moment in this season, if you're collecting cards and you are an Eagles fan, you have been given a reason in a loss, a reason to start collecting a player like Jalen Hurts. I see, I know they won, but I see the best Nick Foles cards all the time on my Instagram feed, because those are Eagles fans that are just expressing what that meant to them. So in that thought process, do you think there are going to be Eagles fans, which is the base I view that are going to say, you know what, like now it's time for me to start collecting Jalen Hurts and that will help increase his perceived collectability over, you know, the next few years or so. Yes. Great insights there. Yes. hundred percent. I see it happening with Philly fans that I know. And there, and Jalen Hurts has a lot of fans who are not Eagles fans as well, you know, in the hobby, like he has a lot of people who just really believe in him as a quarterback, but definitely Eagles fans love this guy and they're going to love him even more because of the roller coaster of emotions that this season was and, you know, how valiant of an effort he put in in that Super Bowl game. Like he was like the defense man gave up 38 points. They were the number one defense in the NFL this year. So zero sacks, you know, just, just get one sack on any of those drives in the second half. And you, and you might've won the game because you might've slowed down a driver. You might've turned a touchdown into a field goal. It was a three point game. So, you know, and then Hertz didn't even get a chance to march down the field one last time there at the end. So I think Philly fans love this guy. Uh, you know, if he was the quarterback of my team, I would have the highest confidence in him. He, he's a special player, man. Like it really is bitter 
it leaves, it leaves a bitter taste that he was the performance that he put up wasn't able to be recognized because it came in a loss. Absolutely. And then if you move up, so move over to the other side. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is a uh, key piece of the football card market. Obviously, the best player. I think that even that can't be argued, especially now in the NFL. Um, When I think about the game, the one moment that stands out to me, and this goes to the you can't sack him, is the scramble. His scramble play on the hobble, the high ankle. But man, I don't know. Like I always viewed Patrick Mahomes as a winner. I viewed him as an incredible player to watch. But now I, 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 there's like a, I feel like he's like a badass, right? This was like his injured Super Bowl moment, and it was the moment where the Chiefs weren't expected to be in this position at the end. So from a legacy perspective, I believe this year is really important to not only Patrick Mahomes but Patrick Mahomes' cards. Like, what say you? 100% agree. Very important uh, performance for Mahomes' legacy. I mean, I can't think of a singular game in recent professional sports history that mattered more to an all-time caliber player's legacy than that Super Bowl, which is which is like this, the mathematically inclined, the statistically inclined among us are going to say, how can you possibly – you know, weigh those 60 minutes on a football field and say it's the difference between putting Mahomes in the discussion with Montana or putting him in the discussion, all due respect, with Kurt Warner. You know, but that's the difference between one and two in a Super Bowl and two and one in Super Bowl appearances is, you know, now you're in a truly rarefied air. So what I mean, I don't know if Mahomes feels the pressure like that, if he thinks about it like that. Nobody feels it as much as we do as collectors, because I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, the betters make their one-off bets. The fans are going to ride or die with the team regardless. Mm. And the players are making tens of millions of dollars, at least at the superstar level. So, like, but as collectors, we there's nobody more invested emotionally in particular, but also financially in the the legacies of these players who have the potential to be all time. There's nobody more invested than we are. So, you know, for a Mahomes collector, there's, there's almost more pressure on them, especially relative to their, their station in life and how important the hobby is and collecting is to so many of us. There's, there's nothing, uh, you know, I think even, I think even what the pressure as collectors, what we feel is, is very strong. So I don't know if Mahomes sees it that way or not, but from the hobby's point of view, from sports history's point of view, that game was so big, such a big game. And, you know, not only does he not only does Mahomes come out and, you know, perform magnificently, especially in the second half, he had to put up 38 points, well, I guess 31 because the defense got seven. He had to put up that, uh, you know, so many points on this great vaunted defense. And at the end of the game, he ends up with a QBR of, I think, 96.3 or something like that. And the highest you can score on QBR is 100. And QBR is a great metric, right? It's not a be-all, end-all, but it just – the way it works is each play has an expected points added. So, if like, if I start at my own 20-yard line, the expected points added to that play is going to be very small. It's going to be a fraction. 
But if I'm on the one yard line or the goal line of the other team, the expected points added to that play is going to be like five because there's a very high likelihood that I'm going to score. QBR is based on measuring how many points you add per play. So if Mahomes scrambles from his own 20 yard line to the one yard line, he just added 4.7 expected points because that's the differential between the points, expected points around the goal line versus the 20 yard line. And QBR takes that and then it puts it on a scale to 100. And Mahomes played one of the absolute best games you can play using that metric. How many points added is this quarterback adding every time uh, he runs an action play? So the metrics back it up that it was one of the all-time great performances. The narrative is so important to this guy's legacy, you know, and it could, and it was on a razor's edge, you know, because if, if just, if Nick Bolton doesn't run that fumble in for a touchdown, you know, if or maybe I should put it this way, if Hertz doesn't lose the ball mm. and that's it, then, then now we're having a totally different discussion about what one and two in the Super Bowl means, you know, now you're, there's only one Super Bowl MVP. There's only one Super Bowl. And we're talking about Jalen Hurts now has as many Super Bowls and as many Super Bowl MVPs as Patrick Mahomes. That's the difference. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's a lot, man. It's a lot to take in. So many great points. And I went into the game saying to myself that if this guy is in fact going to be part of this top tier conversation historically, he is going to win this game because of the last appearance. And we all remember him being on his back and a bad offensive line. And he definitely did that and delivered in a big way. But before we move off of the Super Bowl topic, someone uh, posted this in the Instagram stories today. I'm going to call a person out. And I'd love to get your reaction because this is hobby related. That's so good. good friend, Jameson, exquisite sports collectibles put in his story, Patrick Mahomes. Yesterday's price is still today's price. Sorry, your sorry, your Mahomes cards didn't double. Happens every year, every sport. If you are a top guy, the chip is baked in. Mm. What is your react? I saw that and I was I was gonna repost and I was gonna put my thoughts and I was like, I'm gonna save it. I'm just gonna bring it up with Chris on this show today. Oh, I love it. I, and, and he's so right. He's so right. That, you know, the, the, you know, I was talking a lot about how like collectors have a lot invested in a player's legacy and a legacy has key moments along its timeline, but a legacy takes a whole career to be fleshed out. And then we have to measure it against all the other careers and figure out where it really sits legacy wise. He's so right that in, in the sports meeting for the next eight months, it's going to be a lot of shouting and loud noises about goats <laughs> and, and who's the goat. And has Mahomes passed Brady? And it's going to be pretty insufferable. And in the hobby, we do the same thing, but we even move the timeline up further <laughs> because we're baking in goat discussions like before even like a few check marks along the GOAT timeline happen. So he's 100% right about that, that, you know, this is what is expected when you are the most valuable football player on the card market, maybe next to Tom Brady. 
I wasn't expecting to go here, but this has, I know you're going to be passionate about this. And this has me thinking about something where based on your response. So you have if people who are entering and people, so let's just say I've got a premium Patrick Mahomes card. I want it. I want to sell it. Um, I have it listed probably two, three X what it's worth or perceived to be worth. And you've got new people coming into the hobby who are saying, I'm a chief season ticket holder. I love Patrick Mahomes. My buddy was talking about cards. I'm super successful. I have disposable income to spend on cards. And they enter our hobby and then they start consuming content. And all the content is about these cards going up in price and the how Patrick Mahomes is the guy to buy right now. And this unbeknownst to them, because they aren't educated, they come in and they say, you know what? Oh, I've got the money for that. I'll pay for that because surely he's going to win another one <laughs> in his career. And, and surely this card is going to, you know, 2X. And that's a good investment for me. When we know as collectors, people who spend all of our time and energy and do podcasts like this, that's not how it works. Yeah. How big of a problem is that? Especially in these moments when you've got a Patrick Mahomes, who's the most popular football player in the world winning another Super Bowl. And that's going to attract people into our hobby who want to maybe buy his cards. Yeah, man, it, it is. It's, it's very, uh, it, it, yeah, it's so, uh, it, I'm, I feel two ways about it. Cause like on the one hand, it's so, it's so counterintuitive. You know, if somebody, let's say, let's say you put money on Mahomes to win the Super Bowl at six to one odds before this season, it will pay off. You know, he won the Super Bowl. You'll get six to one back. But with cards, because of the weird dynamics and the macro stuff, you know, there's more at stake in a card's value than just their, the absolute achievements. You know, in cards, card value is relative to lots of different things. And, you know, so you could you could have bought some great Mahomes cards at the beginning of the season, and then they're worth less today after he does everything you could possibly dream of doing. You know, whether it's leading the league in passing yards, leading the league in touchdowns, winning the Super Bowl, winning Super Bowl MVP, winning regular season MVP. It's like, what more would this guy need to do? But here's the here's the crux of it from my point of view. The issue is that the card is being framed as an investment vehicle. And the irony is that that's what's going to prevent it from being an investment vehicle. If the card is understood, like, here's how I collect. You know, I see values of cards that I own go stupid high for a period of time and then and now like get smashed over the last year or two. But I want to own cards that give me the satisfaction as a collector that I'm proud of this collection, that other collectors who are like me will know how difficult it was to get these cards. Other collectors like me will know how important these cards are to the hierarchy of collecting that these cards, you know, tell a story about me, about what I value in the hobby, about my opinions on players and cards and sets and history and all that stuff is a real value add for me. So being able to say, I have a great collection of a, of a player and be able to show historically important cards of that player and then tell the story about how hard it was to get them or whatever, or, you know, that is the value add to me is like the collection is the end goal. It's the, the end goal isn't like, you know, if I make a bet on this card, will it pay off? The end goal is 
how do I amass enough money in my day-to-day life that I can go buy my favorite cards and then make a cool post on Instagram, show them to my friends, show them to the community, discuss with my fellow collectors and be able to say, I have had the discipline, the time, the strategy, the knowledge, the foresight to be able to assemble a collection that I'm extremely proud of. You know, and if everybody was on that wavelength, if everybody valued the cards more than the short-term gains from them, then they would be tremendous investment vehicles because nobody would be selling them off at the first sign of a, an incremental gain. Now, I don't want to knock dealers or flippers because without them, the cards, it's much more difficult to get those cards to the use the Jamesons and the Mees of the world who want to have, you know, great cornerstone pieces in our collections. So they are important that we do need people who will take the 20% gain and move it on to somebody else. But if we have a healthy psychological approach to collecting that says, hey, the money is cool, but I get such a psychological satisfaction from collecting that it's, it's way more important to me to build and assemble a great collection over time, then we do arrive at a situation where somebody can come into the hobby and understand that, you know, the the stuff that drives us as collectors. So you just talked about the psychology for why you collect and what you're buying. Let's stay on your collecting before we move over to the trade deadline um, and its impact on the NBA and basketball cards in general. I know you collect a lot of different stuff and oftentimes we get in these like uh, modes where we focus on a certain player, a certain set we're building. And we just like, that's our priority. And that shifts on and off. I'm curious, like what's, what's kind of been motivating your, your buys right now? Like what has been your area of focus and how are you approaching it? Yeah. So one area of collecting that I've been really happy to get back into is Michael Jordan cards. So Jordan cards got really like stupidly expensive, (laughs) like last year, the year before, especially some of them. And many of them have stayed too expensive for me, but a few haven't, a few have corrected a bit, you know, and, and uh, I've made some dumb Michael Jordan purchases from a, you know, uh, (laughs) from a dollars and cents point of view. And, uh, you know, so I just, uh, you know, I touched the stove, it was too hot. And uh, now that now it's now it's cooled down a little bit. And so one of the cards I added was the 1998-99 Collector's Choice Reserve Premium. Right? Yeah, they're, they're, like people call it a couple different things. Prime Choice Reserve, I think, is the official title. Out but of 100? It's number two 100. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that Michael Jordan has like five or six cards in the set, but there's like checklists and there's subsets. And the one that I got is the base set one. So, and I, I believe there's, uh, maybe six or seven graded copies across all the companies. So it's, that was a, that was a sweet, sweet acquisition that, you know, came at a reasonable price and it felt great to add another Michael Jordan card to the collection. Talk to me about uh, how that card came into your hemisphere. Was it on a list? Uh, did it just pop up? How did you evaluate it? What were all the boxes you checked where you said, this is something I'm grabbing? Well, I'm not making this up. I have a dentist friend <laughs> who collects Michael Jordan cards. Shocker. 
<laughs> and uh, he was moving cards around so that he could go for a monster, monster, big grail Jordan from the 90s. And that card became one of the ones he made available. And uh, and I'd always coveted that card. I mean, for years, I love the clean white border. I love the subtle, you know, shiny layering of the premium choice letters over the card. I love the action photo. I love that it's for, I don't, that's my first collector's choice. Jordan added into the collection. And it's like, it's like his collector's choice grail sort of. So, you know, that's how it came to be was he was moving some stuff around and I just, you know, I was at the right place at the right time. It's it's always about who you know and oh, yeah. infra, like get, gathering that sort of information. The reason the reason why I knew it was out of a hundred because I had my eye on something that I collect that's mm-hmm. of a similar vein, and those cards are pretty awesome. And what I like about them too is the fact that I, those you don't see people talking about them in the opportunity to grab something that is got a jam packed full of nostalgia, but is also unique and not in every Jordan collector's PC. I feel like I get why you bought it and that's what makes cards appealing. Yes. Yes. But I've been doing more. I've been doing more buying than just that. So also I've been, uh, you know, well, I always will buy like a little one of one base set McCaffrey. <laughs> if it comes up. So I just, I love to pluck those, you know, I got one of the Dallas card show for a hundred bucks a little while ago. Shout out to Baldy, uh, Baldy sports cards for that. And uh, so I've been picking up a little McCaffrey's and then, you know, I think my biggest, uh, the player who I've accumulated the most cards of this season is Jokic. And I just love Jokic cards because I just feel like I have that as more of a lane unto myself. Mm. And it's it's just more something that like him as a player and what he accomplishes, you know, it, it that's like that's that's really like something that I love and admire is uh, is him as a player. And and like most people don't, you know, most people aren't over there. And uh, so I like it. You know, it's like having a it's like having a punk rock. You know, this is a stupid cliche. <laughs> it's like having the punk rock band yes. that you know all about and you tell everybody about it. And they're like, Meh, you know, whatever. It's kind of it's OK. And then like that punk rock band, like gets a few Grammys and then you're like, yeah, you know, that that's what I like a lot about Jokic. So he's uh, he's been a lot of fun to collect this year. You know, like his optic golds will come up on eBay and they go for like 150 bucks. I'm just like, yeah, that's 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 like the sweet spot. Do you feel like it's almost more fun sometimes to collect stuff when you're buying it and people are like, you're crazy, like you're crazy for spending that money or you're crazy for wanting to buy that. Doesn't like when you bought your, the, the black one of one, like mm-hmm. I'm sure people are like, I can't believe you spent that amount of money on him. But like for you, you like watching him and you, you see where he's going. So I'm sure we've talked about it, but a bunch of factors kind of played into that decision. But do, do you, I find it enjoyable when people there's no one around and it's just me and that, player or me in that set that that's when I like zero in because I'm like, I'm the only one. It's just me, you know? Totally. And, and you need two ingredients, right? Like you, you, it's nice to have the lane unto yourself more or less, but it, but you also need the ingredient of like, but if more people knew about this, <laughs> you know, you, you, like that's the, that's the other fun secret half of it too. 
But yeah, I mean, Jokic is a perfect example of where like it it dawned on me, obviously, I'm never going to be able to get the best card of Michael Jordan. I'm never going to be able to get the best card of Luca. But you know what? I can probably do it for Yoke. And let me just make a really strong push and do it. And then like following Jokic has made me such a smarter consumer of basketball. And it's made me in like invest my time and energy into understanding how really smart people analyze and think about basketball. And I love that stuff. I, I just, that's just such an important part of why sports fandom continues to enthrall me is because like there are really smart people doing really smart things with the metrics that we have about how players perform on the floor. He, he's just like an amalgamation of all, like he is the best expression of me, you know, <laughs> it, it is him. So that's, yeah, that's a lot of fun when you can land on a player like that. All right. So let's, let's, before we, we run out of time, let's definitely make some time for the NBA trade deadline and maybe hit really quick before we get into the cards. Like, obviously, um, you got a new player on your team that you have season ticket season tickets to you. So uh would would love to hear you talk a little bit about Kyrie and how you're feeling. And then undeniably, I think, you know, Kevin Durant changes everything based on yeah. what we might have thought was going to happen to the playoffs to maybe now we, what we think with the Suns team and then any other moves that you want to talk about, just like general landscape of the trade deadline from your perspective. And then we can maybe talk a little bit about cards and the impact. Yeah, let's do that. So Kyrie, I'll just, I, you know, he's been very good since he joined the Mavericks, but there is a bad taste in my mouth that lingers from him posting Amazon link to that video and then like doing it with no context you know it, it, it's like look man like when you when you put something like that onto the world you have you know it, you know it's completely reasonable for the public to expect you to provide some color and say what it is that you're communicating through this post and then you know but hey you want to just post a link fine understand it's going to offend and hurt a lot of people because there's a lot of BS that's being propagated by that stupid movie. But then, you know, he followed it up and it's just a very, it's just a very, I'm very uneasy and uncomfortable with that particular thing. Like a lot of you know people will point to like, Oh, Kyrie had a bad run in Boston and he left the nets and like, you know, people are critiquing his business or, you know, how he operates as a player, as a teammate. And I don't, I don't get too worked up over that stuff. I think those situations are very complicated relationships with front office, et cetera, but the tweet and, you know, the movie and just the response to it, that's what makes me feel so uneasy. It makes it really hard to root for him just being honest, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, I I don't want to judge a person by their worst action. Nobody deserves that. And I, you know, I just would love to have some time and uh, see some, see some more gestures of conscientious recognition of like hurting people by putting out harmful information through something like Twitter. I don't want to blow it out of proportion either, but like it did bother me. It does bother me. Just being honest as a player, he's been really good. And all the numbers this year say he's like a top 10, top 15 player in the NBA. He was an all-star starter. And now all of a sudden as Dallas Mavericks fan, we go from rooting for a 500 team that has been like plagued by injuries this year to now rooting for a team 
that is, you know, 538 Raptor. I love their models and their projections. They give the Mavericks the third best title odds. And they say that the Mavericks are tied with the Celtics for the best roster on paper. And so the, the expectation has gone from like, you know, low expectation, but like maybe there's a chance. Like now the expectation is like this team should be at least getting to the Western Conference Finals. That's the expectation that's been put on this team now. And so it's very different. But, yeah, you have two all-star starters. You have some pretty solid role players from Josh Green on down. They need, they, they're they missing a little depth, but, like, this is a total game changer for the Dallas Mavericks. And the expectations are sky high. That they So, you know, like the tickets to tonight's first home game, they're like 4X face value. You know, the whole city is just is hanging hanging on. You know, they're on the edge of their seats here wanting to see what's going to happen with this team. So um, let's get let's we we got to hear a little bit about um, Kevin Durant. So the Suns mm. played the Pacers Friday night and I needed the Pacers to win that game. D- oh, it, it was let me tell you, I wasted my Friday night and I was. MFing the TV, and I was like, dude, <laughs> like the Durant wasn't even playing. And yeah. I'll tell you what, the Suns are really good, they're really good. And this was without Durant. And so I'm like, I just watched this team who honestly, I've watched almost every pick 85 to 90 percent of the Pacers games this year. Suns on Friday night might have been the best team I've seen all year. And this was without Durant. So immediately I'm like, you put Durant in there and shit like this. I don't know. I don't see how this team can't doesn't win the title. So is that being overly aggressive or you think Durant could put these guys over the top? What are your thoughts? Oh, he could absolutely put more. I remember this team was in the finals two years ago. You know, he can absolutely put this team over the top. Okay. So the numbers don't love them as much. Like 538 has them in like the top 10 after the Durant trade, you know, which it's good to be top 10, but like that, you know, they have the best odds to win the Western conference in the sports books right now. So something's out of whack. Mm. Either the numbers are wrong are misleading us or the sports books are too optimistic, but you know, Kevin Durant was playing an MVP level this season. And, you know, he went down with an injury. He's going to miss a bunch of games. Here's a take that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And I, you know, because I've been work, I've been workshopping this one because I felt a lot of pain after the way the Western Conference Finals ended last year. One of the advantages that the Warriors had when they were just beaten up on teams last year in the playoffs, and they never really had a threat. You know, they were they were winning series four one and four two all the way through the finals. One of the big advantages they had was Dre, Clay, and Steph all missed multiple months of action right before the playoffs. In other words, they were very well rested. And by the time it got to the third round and then the finals, these other teams who are banking on players who had been playing six, seven months of nonstop basketball were going up against guys who were on fresh legs. I think that is a huge factor because you will look at the metrics and you'll say, you know, the Mavericks generated great shot quality. They won the shot quality battle all series long, but they were just missing their shots and the Warriors were making them. The Warriors had the legs under them. They had the endurance. They had the fresh legs. Now take that logic and go to the Suns. The Suns have had Chris Paul in and out of the lineup. Devin Booker has missed months. Kevin Durant has missed months. 
And this team is still right there in the top four, the top five of the playoff race. If the timelines sync up so that you've got Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, uh, you know, coming off of they, they have like a month together, you know, like let's say they come back early March or like late February and they, they have like a month together to gel and they're all on fresh legs. They've got that Warriors potential where they can, you can have some of the best players in the league and championship pedigree players. Whether when you're talking Durant and we were talking Paul and Booker guys who've been in the finals and we were talking Paul, one of the best players over the last 20 years. And these guys can be fresh and they, they'll be fresher than the teams that are going up against. That's the scariest part rooting for two teams who might have to play Phoenix is that not only they're going to be loaded with talent, but their superstars are going to have much fresher legs than ours. That's a scary thought. Is there anything uh, before we move off of this, is there anything cards related that is important to call out? Like, do you anticipate there to be new interest in uh, KD, Kyrie, or somebody else because of the, these moves that have been made? I think the team-oriented collectors are going to wait. You know, Mavericks fans, Suns fans, I especially Mavericks fans because Kyrie's on an expiring deal. I think they're going to wait and see is this going to stick or not, you know, before they start, you know, jumping on to Kyrie cards as a player who's going to be a long-term part of their team's future. Durant still has four years left on his deal. Um, but I, I, and I think like it's easier to say, Hey, I'm a Suns fan. I, I want to get some Kevin Durant cards going here, but I, I just think there's going to be patience because both of those guys have kind of, you know, been hopping from team to team the last half decade. And uh, so I think there's going to be some patience. I think from, so that's team collectors, player collectors. I think if you're already a player collector or you're, inclined to be a player collector of like Kyrie or KD, I think you're feeling really good. Uh, I think you felt good earlier this year too, because the Nets were absolutely kicking ass before injuries and everything kind of went sideways. But I think you're feeling really good in either situation. I think both of those teams have to be recognized as contenders, legitimate title contenders at this point. And, and you're feeling good. Like your players are both in really good positions to win. So, you know, and and if you're somebody who's looking to start a new collection, I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie, you know, it's a little scary. You know, (laughs) it's just a little scary to get on board with either of those guys right now. Yeah, you you might want to wait and see how the year unfolds. I think that's how those guys will probably react. So it's a mixed bag. man. I I don't think anything seismic is going to be happening in, in any of those markets. All right, let's close it out with this. I'm just curious, general hobby assessment of 2023. Personally, I feel like I'm having more fun than I've ever had. I I don't really know what to attribute it to, but maybe it's the prices. Maybe it's the community. I don't know. But maybe share a little perspective. How are things going for you? Like uh, things you're liking and if there's anything uh, you're not liking, we can throw eggs on that too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is always a fun one to think about and try and come up with something cute. But I don't really have anything that spicy to throw at. Like, one thing that's just so interesting about being a collector right now is that there's there's been some really big legacy stuff to happen over the last six months in sports. You had Aaron Judge breaking the home run record, which is like 
something that baseball people weren't expecting to see happen anytime soon. And it was a, it was a nice, another nice notch in the belts of Aaron judges rapidly ascending legacy. So that was, that was such a cool piece of sports history. Then we get LeBron setting the all time career single season points record eclipsing Kareem, which reinvigorates all sorts of discussions and debates about basketball legacies. And like one of the cool byproducts of that is that when that happens, it makes you start thinking about Kareem again. And it makes you start thinking about other guys who are high on some of these other lists. And as a collector, that's so mentally stimulating to me. You know, I, I want, like, I could almost see Brett, a pivot coming in my future, maybe the next five years of my collecting horizon, a pivot coming to where like, I really start pivoting into underappreciated top five all-time players in the sports of basketball and football. And like people who follow me on Instagram probably see like these seeds being planted where like I'm taking this, like baseball has this great thing, the black ink test where they go over a baseball player's baseball reference page, total up how many times that player led the league in key statistical categories and then compare it to other players. And I've done that for all the NFL quarterbacks and I've done it for all the great NBA players. And it just makes me start thinking about sports and thinking about where are our other angles where I can, where I'm seeing something special about sports history that, that other, that the, that the majority is not seeing, you know, who are players who have had these incredible careers and we've just forgotten about them or, you know, I, it just really, the uh, the analytics and the metrics of sports as it relates to characterizing individual greatness is something that like I see on my horizon going back in time and look at these different players. So Brett, I got off on a tangent there. What oh we're talking about like uh what so like so I'm no, excited you, about that hobby. Yeah, no, I love it. No, I have been following the stories, I've been seeing the black ink test and the best part about collecting that way is that when someone comes into your hemisphere and they want to come up with an argument and you're collecting someone, you've got the statistical data and the, the narrative to be able to say, you know, fuck you. Like, look at this. You know what I mean? So I've been yeah. following, I've been wondering what this was about. So yeah. I'm curious to see who the, who the selections are. I, I could have a few guesses, but I won't bring them up here. Yeah. No, it's just a personality quirk of mine as well. It's like, it will motivate me to read and study things if I know that like I can make a little content out of it and put it to my story and, you know, get people talking to me about it. And then when I do that, people who are more knowledgeable than me will come in and say like, well, you didn't think about this or what about this? And so it's really helpful. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I've been loving about the hobby is like the hobby has made me such a better consumer of sports and such a better knower of all things ball related, whether it's football or basketball. But th that's been a nice thing about 2023 hobby. And, you know, but on the other hand, like that's led me down into spending a lot of my recreational time, not really consuming hobby content, but instead consuming content of sports historians, sports statisticians, and podcasters who cover sports on a day-to-day, -day, you know, beat writer style basis. And looking at numbers all day and stuff like that, which yeah, I, I I do I just enjoy doing that. But it's led me down that path. So like I've honestly you know have tuned out from a lot of hobby related 
content. Not, not as an insult to the hobby related content, but just because like my interests, my hobby driven interests have actually taken me to a point where like, this is, this is the stuff that's motivating me right now and reshaping how I think about collecting. So I just, I haven't really been so tuned in and that's probably good because like hobby wise, you know, we just, uh, I just feel like content creators look at the landscape of the hobby and they just say, man, this is barren. You know, I know what it's going to take to, you know, (laughs) captivate the masses. And that's easy to see and understandable to see how somebody would think that way. But the hobby really does not work that way. The hobby is not a group of lemmings. It's not a group of sheep waiting to be gathered and shepherded in one direction or another. It's the opposite of that. The hobby is a collective of some 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 very strong-willed, thoughtful, intentional people who oftentimes are pretty darn successful in other avenues of life. And this is their recreational avenue. And these this these people are not a herd looking for direction. You know, just because like there's not, you know, there's not like a few kings among them or something. It, it's not that way. It's it's because like it's this weird utopia of like a bunch of autonomous, self-directed, intelligent, capable people who just kind of are all following their own path. And so, you know, anytime, like, I think that's one of the biggest sources of friction with influencer culture and the hobby and why they just never seem to work out and why there's always so much resistance to it is because there's not anybody looking to, there's few people looking to be influenced. You know, so they're just like, yeah, I get it. We're all here and we're quiet. And it just seems like there's this landscape where, you know, you can just come in and do all this influencing. And then influencers are, their influencers are constantly like taken aback when the hobby says, no, (laughs) no, thank you. We don't need, you know, to be told what to do. We're good. You know, just because it's quiet doesn't mean we have nothing to say. Uh, and we will push back. So that's been one of the, one of my interesting observations is just kind of like, why, you know, I asked like, why do these influencers keep on running up against a wall? This could be a topic that we could talk about for another six hours. Cause I have so many thoughts. So the thing that circles in my brain is that, uh, you want to say it, put a label on the influencer. And we all know who the people who are influencers or say their influencers are what I want to do is I want to run a test and I want to run a test on their audiences. And I will tell you the people who want to be influenced. And I will also say that demographic of people is likely in middle school, in maybe early high school. And that's the audience. And that's, I I study this stuff for a living. And that's what I have been, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And there's a lot that we could talk about. And maybe we will sometime because, uh, I think this is an important topic and I love so much of what you said and I dislike so much of what the influencers try to push on us or the next generation of people that are going to be competing at auction, bidding on cards, building badass collections. So that's my brief. I'll cut it off response to that. (laughs) We'll get it on the books at some time because I could go ham on this forever. I know you could, man. You have you have really, really unique experience and education and professional experience to offer on that topic. And I think sometimes like as collectors, like 
we don't even know how to articulate properly what it is that like is pushing us away because like we should love our content, you know, we should have a symbiotic happy relationship as, as collectors with the content that's being made for us to consume. And in so many instances, that's not the case, you know, that's a problem. That's a, that's an interesting, you know, sociological problem to address is like, why do we have this such a, rough relationship between you know us as collectors and the content that gets made for us but there is good content out there for collectors as well like i and i and i want to acknowledge it and i do listen to it you know and like i try to take in as many of those podcasts as much of that content as i can and uh you know it's it's so interesting man like this 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 community is still developing every day like we were we were talking before the call kind of about how like the market has changed and we don't and it's, and it's tough to just to know what's normal and what's not normal and i think normal is getting redefined rapidly all the time in our in our community and in and in the collecting worlds and i don't know if that's ever i, th- I think it eventually will slow down and stabilize but we're we're still figuring out so much stuff. So much ground is covered always on these conversations with you. We didn't even talk about card ladder, but you all know how I feel about card ladder. I'm, I'm, is there anywhere you all will be that if people are, are going to be out, they can come stop by and say, Hey, before we let you go. Totally, man. So we will be at the mint collective in uh, late March, I believe. And uh, Christine and I will be at all the Dallas card shows. Remember when we went to that Dallas card show, Brett? Yes, that was awesome. I, I need to get back. That was a that show ruled, and I had a blast. And I, I need now that I have more years of experience, I need to get back there. They're they're still as fun as ever, and uh, and being there like it's it, it's always a, an energizer shot because it's just so many people there. You know? It's just so much. Yeah, and, so you, and you can you, you can just that. you can just like leave your house and just stumble over there and go like that's yeah. that's a fun benefit. You get the Mavericks Maverick season tickets and you got your regular Dallas card show appearances. Totally. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's really really awesome. So, we'll be uh well you can we'll usually appear at Dallas card shows, we'll be at the Mint and then Brett before you know it, the Chicago National. <laughs> Uh, it's it, it'll be here before you know it excited that we're already talking about it i've been in group chats people are already talking about it but you're right it'll be here before uh we know it chris as always appreciate the passion and the perspective uh looking forward to talking to you soon likewise buddy every time he comes on the pod i feel like we could go broadway maybe we did love hearing from chris You enjoy your weekend. Make sure it's full of collecting. Make sure it's full of enjoyment. We will talk to you on the other side. Take care.